Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. He went to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, we exalt you. We are overjoyed to be together with your people in your presence today. There's no, there's no other place we'd rather be than here at this moment, Lord, worshiping you. This is your season. Every day is your day, but this season particularly as we celebrate your birth, your incarnation, your coming into human flesh, that you might redeem us, that you might save us from our sins. We are so grateful for what you've done for us. And it is out of hearts filled with joy that we worship you this morning. And we're particularly grateful, Lord, for music and the way that you have throughout the ages used music to to touch our hearts and to bless our souls. And uh, particularly this morning as we uh, focus on music to celebrate your birth, we pray for your your rich blessing on us as we worship together. Um, May this um, season... Uh, be a season in which you are exalted above all things in our lives, in our families, and certainly in our church. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
It's at this time uh, each year that we have the wonderful opportunity to reintroduce people who've united with our fellowship in the past year to um, light the Advent candle. Sarah Vincelli is going to come and do that. She was uh, baptized and united with our fellowship a number of months ago. And as uh, she lights the candle, Deb Campbell is going to read some scripture for us. Three Sundays ago, we lit the candle of expectation, recalling, recalling God's promise of a Savior. Then we lit the candle of preparation, remembering John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus. And last week, we lit the candle of proclamation, reminding us to tell others of his coming. Today, we light the candle of revelation so that our lives will be filled with the greatness of his love and the joy of the shepherds when they encountered the angels. I'm reading from Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Pastor Greg read us this quote last week from Pastor Teresa today, speaking of newborn Jesus and the master tradition. He looks innocent but clean. His face is prunish and red. His cries are strong and healthy. Though the helper can safely quiet the baby, and he is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. This baby has overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm were the robes of eternity. His golden throne room has been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen, and worshiping angels have been replaced with kind but bewildered shepherds.
Luke goes on to tell us in verse 25 of chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. We just sang all of Simeon's words. 
Not to insult your intelligence, though, I'm going to read them again. You know, you've heard people say, I wish God would show himself to me. I wish God would just reveal himself to me. I'd like to see him. And if he did that, you know, I would never, ever doubt again. And the people who say that just missed it. Because he has. Spurgeon describes this in a wonderful way. Infinite and an infant. Eternal and yet born of a woman. Supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms. King of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph. Heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. Oh, the wonder of Christmas. That quote reflects the, uh, the, the, the feelings of Simeon as this family Arrives And I asked the choir rehearsal yesterday, how many sermons have you heard on Simeon? And none of them said many. We just don't talk about him a whole lot. But he's a fascinating man. And this is a fascinating story. This story of this encounter there in the temple. Reading from verse 25 and following. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed him and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Hmm. You know, from, uh, from one perspective, the birth of Jesus is just a spectacular event. It's um, declared by a sky full of angels. That's pretty spectacular. Um, There's this supernatural star that marks the occasion. There's an infant that's visited by wealthy magi from foreign countries. And even the king feared for his own throne. So in one sense, it's a spectacular event. And then as we look at this story today, in some ways, it's just pretty mundane. Parents are doing what Jewish, good Jewish parents do. They're following through with the, 
the rituals that are required by the law in regard to a firstborn son. Those are, and reveals to us about these two people, Mary and Joseph, that they are obedient to God. Circumcision on the eighth day after birth, dedicating that child to the Lord, a a payment of some redemptive offering, um, purification of the mother to restore her from her uncleanness, to be able to worship publicly. And so one day, this young couple, they carry this child, this small child, into eight-day-old child into the temple. Could be there were others there as well that were born eight days ago. They came for these purification rites. They came to present their child to the Lord. And, and, and the law required a lamb and a dove. And those who were poor and couldn't afford a lamb provided a dove. And this was a poor family. They offered the two doves. And following the purification Right, she presents her their gifts, their offering to the priest, and presents her child to the Lord. It shows the faithfulness of Mary and Joseph. It shows the poverty of Mary and Joseph. And this trip, I'm sure, was exciting to this rural couple. Bethlehem, they got to go to the big city. It was a common exercise. could be considered a mundane experience. And yet, in the midst of all that's been going on in their lives, there are more surprises, and two more surprises, Simeon and Anna. People with some God-given insight into well beyond the visible circumstances. They had an understanding of God's master plan of redemption. They had an understanding of the central role that Jesus was going to play in that plan. And we in past weeks or past months, we've talked about New Testament prophetic gifts and apostolic gifts. And so we're not, fortunately, we won't have to deal with those things uh, today. And yet we need to just suffice it to say that after Malachi and before the apostles, there were several people who had prophet-like tendencies. Holy Spirit had inspired them with some message from God. That's Elizabeth, that's Zechariah, that's John the Baptist, Jesus himself. And that's really all I'm going to say about that. Simeon and Anna were prophetic people, whatever that means. Anna's called a prophetess later, uh, a verse later. We won't talk about her today. While Simeon speaks prophetically and under the influence of the God's Holy Spirit. And today we're going to look quickly at Simeon's background. We're going to look at Simeon's song And we're going to look at Simeon's prophecy. First, his background. It's a common name, Simeon. We know his name, Simeon. It's common. It's a famous name. 
second son of Jacob by Leah, which makes him that name, one of the twelve tribes of Israel. Beyond this name, though, we're told a couple of things in that verse 25 there. There's a description of his character. He's righteous and devout. At the very least, being righteous means he's a good man. But there's more to it than that. He's an obedient man. Devout means he's a man of worship. He's a man of faith. Luke knows this about him. And because he's a man, a good man, who's righteous and, and, and of worship, a, a man of faith, and he's, he's devout in his faith to the Lord, then you would expect that he's a regular in the temple. Kind of like you Sunday morning people. Secondly, Luke tells us that he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means that simply means he's waiting for God's Messiah. But what he tells us even further shows that he knows more about that than just the consolation of Israel. The rabbis of that day talked about Jesus simply being a comforter. He was going to comfort his people. We see that in Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all sins. So the, the rabbis of the day talked about the, the Messiah being a comforter. And they were looking forward to that comfort. And that comfort meant like forgiveness. And that comfort meant like national restoration because the Romans were in charge. The Romans were over Israel and particularly over Jerusalem. And, and they saw that as a punishment from God. And, and one day God was going to lift that punishment to send His Messiah. And Simeon's vision of all this was much bigger than some military victory that was going to deliver Israel from the hated Romans. Third thing he tells us about Simeon's character, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Deeply spiritual man. Oh, he could be righteous and devout and go to worship and do all those things and still not be full of the Holy Spirit. But Luke describes him as full of the Holy Spirit, under the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, selected by God for this special moment. That's pretty amazing. So we know something of his character. We know something of his belief, his unique anointing. But to everybody else, he was just a guy who came to church all the time. Just one righteous guy. And John MacArthur says, this is one of the guys I want to meet in heaven. (laughs) MacArthur went on to say, I just want more information. (laughs) 
And while he's never called a prophet, he's described in prophet-like terms. He's received this message from God. He's received some revelation. And uh, this is a prophecy of a personal nature. And he's been told that his life will extend past the birth of the Messiah. That he will lay his eyes on the promised Christ. Christ means anointed one. You will not die until you lay your eyes on the promised anointed one. You're going to live until you see the Lord's Christ. Now, I told the choir yesterday, see, they got part of the sermon before you did. But I told them yesterday, you know, if God gave me that message, I'm thinking I'm driving 150 miles an hour every single day. Or your wife says, you know, all that fattening stuff you eat, that's not good for you. Hey, I haven't seen Jesus yet. (laughs) And he's old. We don't know how old he is. um, Luke tells us Anna, Anna was old. We're assuming Simeon's old. But he'd waited quite a long time. He's probably a very old man. Second thing we see is the song. It's called Simeon's Song. Some divine appointment, uh, this meeting that's arranged uh, by the Holy Spirit, uh, and and we don't understand those meetings. You, you never understand those meetings beforehand, do you? You always look back and you say, yeah, look what God did. <laughs> you don't ever go into that encounter knowing it's some divine appointment. That's why we need to train ourselves to assume that every appointment is a divine appointment. But normally in hindsight, we look back. Luke did. Other people did. This was not just some chance meeting. This meeting had been planned and had been planned for a very, 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 very long time. And we all experience the work of God in that way, that God arranges these circumstances according to His will, whether they're good or bad. God has ordained circumstances according to His will. But rarely that our eyes are opened until we stand on the side of the circumstance and look back. There must be something reassuring about Simeon's presence to this young mother. He blessed the child, but not in the official priestly way. That was still to come, probably. He'd waited for this hope. This old man. And they come in, and like I said, there could have been other families coming in for the same rites at the time. But Simeon knew when he laid his eyes on this family, this is the one I've been waiting for. It's revealed to him immediately. He's a man of hope. He didn't just dream all of this up. It had been given to him. He didn't just have a 
dream one night that, I, you know, not till I die am I going to see the Messiah. No. It was specific. And, again, and it could be that as after he gets that message from God, it could be that he's there and he's just waiting for a passing glimpse. There's a crowd of people and it could be that, that, that Simeon's just looking at the babies that are coming in for baby dedication. Maybe just get some passing glimpse of this family. And then there's this wonderful, wonderful picture here. He takes him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's the third great canticle in Luke. Canticle is a song. It's called the Song of Simeon. The Latin is Nunc Dimidis. And there are two others um, in Luke. Earlier we have the Song of Zechariah, which is called the Benedictus. And then we have the Song of Mary, which is called the Magnificat. Luke has blessed us with these songs. And there's just a simple lesson that's applied uh, to this particular song today that, that when we've laid our eyes on God's salvation for us, when we have believed in Him, we are blessed with this precious gift of repentance, of turning away from making ourselves God and turning toward God Himself through His Son. And then, what happens when that happens? Then we can live with hope and confidence that we can finally depart in peace. When we've seen our salvation and repented of our sins, then we can live with the confidence that we depart in peace. People that are agitated and scared of death have not experienced that. And this assurance is not for Simeon alone. This assurance guides every single believer as we walk in hope through this life. And there's some other doctrinal teachings in this song as well. First, Simeon does understand that, that, that God's Messiah is more than a military leader or not a military leader. He is salvation. He is a Savior. Secondly, it's, uh, the, the Messiah certainly fulfills Israel's hopes. We know that. The Messiah fulfills Israel's hopes. He says, for the glory to your people, Israel. He has a ministry, though, to all people, Jews and Gentiles. Simeon has been given an understanding, not an old, not a new understanding, but an understanding that Jesus' mission is to be a Savior for all humanity. 
And that was so crucial for people to hear and people to understand, especially people who did not have Jewish blood in their veins. This wasn't a new idea. We, we preached through Acts a while back and we talked about Paul's ministry to the Gentiles because the Jews had rejected it. But it wasn't Paul's idea. This wasn't new to Simeon either. The Jews knew this. They knew that Jesus as the Messiah was not just for Israel. Isaiah 9, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. And Simeon talks about this light. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is where Simeon's coming from. He's coming through these the, 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 the suffering servant passages out of Isaiah. Isaiah told them that the Messiah was going to be for all the nations. And Simeon is just reiterating that point. But they didn't get it. The Jews never got it. Jonah is a perfect example. We preached through that recently, too. He's the, exa- the example that they didn't get it of oh, those Ninevites. I'm not going to those Ninevites. They're just pagans. They're not God's people. Then after the fish, okay, so I'll go. And revival breaks out. And he's saying, really? Really, God? I can't stand this. I'd rather die than you save those people. I think I'll sulk. Gentile repentance. That's what we're talking about. That's what Simeon's talking about here. Isaiah 42, 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the what? That was weak. And here God's talking to his son. Isaiah's writing the words down. You will be a light to the nations. Isaiah 49, 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. That's the same statement. What's um, Simeon say? A light for revelation to the Gentiles. Isaiah 51, verse 4, Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation. For a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Verse 10 of 52, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. 
In Isaiah 60, the first three verses, you know this. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and His glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and nations will come to that light. All of this teaching in Isaiah about this eight-day-old baby comes from Isaiah. Salvation is not just for the Jews. It's for all peoples. Wow. That was news again, all over again. And then the third thing, we get inside into God's plan of redemption. He didn't, you see, God didn't just choose the best candidate for the job like he did King Saul or somebody, or Paul or Peter or somebody. He didn't just choose the best candidate for the job. He prepared someone from birth for this unique and essential role so that Simeon was able to take up this helpless baby and know what the future holds. He didn't just make this up. God had prepared him for this. And God had prepared him to know that the one who knew the truth had come. In fact, God had prepared him to know that the one who is the truth has come. The writer of Hebrews tells us about that in the first two verses of that book. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So this little baby created the mother who had him. (laughs) From out of all eternity is that great truth. And it is in this truth that we might have life. It is in this truth that you might have forgiveness, that you might have light and life. And for some reason, we celebrate Christ coming in the middle of winter. Although, it doesn't feel like it today. But this truth does remind us that it won't be winter forever. That the light has come. That there's real hope. We sing about that. O come, Thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thy advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. So in the last couple of weeks, you've seen two kinds of people. Most were smiling, most, or at least half of them, because they have this warm, loving feeling about Christmas time. 
It just does that to you, to most people. Some really struggle at Christmas time, but to most, you get that warm feeling. Then there are those that have those same feelings, but they're rooted much, much deeper. Because those feelings are are feelings of remembrance and feelings of hope. And the same feelings that maybe Simeon felt that day. Because it won't be winter anymore. God's promise, the light has come. And then we see Simeon's prophecy. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Who could blame them? They're just simply being obedient to the, to the law. Now, they knew there was something special about this baby. There were angels giving them messages. And, and we know from Mary's testimony in, in the Magnificat that, that, that she had an understanding that something really special was happening. But this shows us that they marveled. This shows us they didn't get it all. And it could be that their understanding had to grow even as our understanding must grow as well. They're just acting in faith. Then Simeon has this private message for Mary. Blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. You parents, if you've lost a child, you understand that a little bit better. Simeon's reference to falling and rising brings to the image that Jesus will build something, that Jesus is the cornerstone and that the gospel is a stumbling block to many. Many will fall and many will rise. And so he, is, as the cornerstone, is the one we build upon. But even then, he will be a stumbling block to many and they will fall. Paul tells us that in Romans 9, verse 33, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Some will fall, some will rise. And that word for rising is actually resurrecting also. Could be that Simeon's foreseeing this later victory after the crucifixion where Christ's victory over death and Christ's role as the first fruits of the resurrection from the dead. And then he tells us in verse 35, that sword will pierce your own soul so that the heart, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So Jesus' ministry is going to bring out um, hidden thoughts and, and, and Jesus' ministry is going to bring out motives from us. And they're going to rise to the surface. 
and many will have an outward appearance of holiness and, and many people will have an outward appearance of, uh, of righteousness. But they're going to be revealed as pos- imposters when the truth shows up. And Simeon gives Mary this hard promise that these attacks... And those who oppose him and those hidden thoughts are revealed and they oppose Jesus for who they are. When the religious people attack him, those attacks on her good son, those attacks on her perfect son, those attacks on her righteous son will tear her soul apart. Eight days old and this new mom is hearing these words. And so, it could be Mary and Joseph at this point are thinking, okay, we didn't bank on this. It's all, this has all been about fulfillment of the law. Nobody said anything about our souls being pierced. The angels sort of left out that part. And God continues to open His plan to, to them as He does to you. You know, Christmas just doesn't come free. Christmas caused Mary a, soul th- a sword through her heart. Christmas caused thousands of brothers and sisters their lives. It doesn't come free. It cost God His Son... C.S. Lewis said, the Son of God became man so that men can become sons of God. And there were many, when Simeon finally reveals all of this, there were many in that temple in that morning when they saw that baby, they heard Simeon's words and they did not leave rejoicing as the shepherds had at the manger. So what does this say to us? Some of you will not leave here today rejoicing, although our prayer is that you might see your salvation today. The story says to us a lot of things, and we don't have time to go into many of them. But at the very least, it says that when we acknowledge Christ's salvation as Simeon did, we receive his peace, we receive his fullness, we receive his salvation. And every person, whether we admit it or not, like Simeon, longs for salvation. There's this deep-seated hope in every person that salvation will come to them. And some of us just fail to recognize it. Some of you just fail to recognize it. And you continue on every single day, every single Christmas, you continue on in your rejection. Oh, If you would walk out of here today, my eyes have seen God's salvation.
Because He sent Him to you. John MacArthur describes this best. He says, Here's a side to the Christmas story that isn't often told. Those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails might be driven through them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk, would one day walk up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns onto it. A tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die so that you might be saved. Consider that truth as we sing Once Upon a Tree.
Augustine long before John MacArthur said he was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed, cried in the manger in wordless infancy, yet he the word without whom all eloquence is mute. Our prayers that the joy of your salvation might be renewed, might be evident as you celebrate the birth of Jesus this week. Let's pray. Accept our thanks, Lord, for your gifts, all your gifts. May we forget not all your benefits. Yet the benefit we proclaim this day, the greatest of all, the gift of salvation, the gift of mercy, the gift of grace, the gift of justification, the gift of righteousness, the gift of repentance, the gift of Jesus. We thank you and we praise your name. Amen.